I am Liz Wright. Welcome to Live Your Best Life. The only thing that matters now is living by the power of this wonderful new creation life. We're going to become an undefeatable force of radiating glory, and we are rising up strong now in this hour. Welcome to Live Your Best Life with me, Liz Wright, and I am extremely excited about today's conversation. Joining me on the show today is somebody that I have the absolute privilege and honor of calling a dear friend of mine for a very long time. He's also an international prophet and travels the world, has traveled the world and does travel the world, is also a producer, a best-selling author, and the list goes on. He's a true friend of God. It is my absolute joy. I'm so happy to welcome back into the show with me today, Sean Bowles. Sean, welcome. Oh, I'm so glad to be here with you. It's so awesome. I love that. I think I was on some of your first podcasts. You were. Excited to be back. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You were. It was the very first day we did filming. You yes. were one of the very first people. Yeah. And you were trying to get out of America at the time because of everything that was happening. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. Literally, we I think we finished we finished with you, didn't we? And then yeah. I had to jump in the car and get yeah. to the airport. And I got on the last plane before they grounded the planes. Oh, I remember gosh. that to get back to wow. England before lockdown. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. So I'm was, glad to be back. Oh no, it's so good to have you on. Okay, Sean, I want to start by, I was reading one of your books. I've been looking at your new book, which I would love to ask you about in a, yeah. in a few minutes time, but because I'm very excited about that, it's obviously a very important message for now. But the book that I can't get out of that you wrote is Through the Eyes of Love. Mm. And of course, it's because it's my favorite subject in the whole yeah. world, you know, Jesus love and manifesting his love. But if I can just quote you, there's something that you said, and I've just kept going back to it. I'm like, man, that's an important key. It's mm. huge. Where you say, when you feel the genuine love of God, you no longer feel a false responsibility to religious acts, but you feel real responsibility to love. And I sat there in that thought, just thought that there's freedom right there and particularly right now where people are trying to untangle from religion and have authentic consistent connection with jesus and to want to know how to love how to be motivated by love which is you personify that you know that i know that's just through knowing you that's one of your absolute core values is everybody you prophesy to everywhere every relationship you're in everywhere you go whether it's the president or the poorest of the poor you seek to know Jesus' heart for them and truly have that love. But when I read that, I just thought, oh my goodness, that's a massive key to set us free, to truly live a life of love. I mean, it's foundational, isn't it? It's like literally it's a game changer. So I wanted to start there and ask you, can you speak a little bit more into that? Because I know you live it and it's massive for right now. Well, it's, it's interesting because I think, um, you know, I could say I would have heard that statement 20 years ago and thought that I was living that, you know, and thought that that mm. was where I was coming from. And there was a measure of it's truth. I was trying to be love motivated and it's always been one of my central values and it's always been very important to me, but I was also a functional workaholic and, you know, um, and it was ministry that I was mostly working on even 20 years ago. I had a, I always had a small business on the side for the most part until pastoring the church, but, um, 
you know, it's, it's really interesting that, you know, I, I'll have people who listen to me at different stages of this love message who will tell me as a pastor or a leader or a business person or whatever, totally, that's what it's about. And then they come back to me like three years later and they're like, I didn't even know. Wow. Like, I didn't even know. And a lot of times it's when we go through, you know, there's midlife crisis that, that a lot of people in the world go through where it's like, they realize they've done all this and they've, they don't really have satisfaction at the end of 30 years. And they, they, they go crazy for a minute to try and figure out who they are. Well, a lot of the church is going through a spiritual midlife crisis where it's like, we've had enough, we've done enough activity, we've done all this stuff and it hasn't brought us the significance that his love brings us or the love motivation brings us. And we think we're doing it for love, but it's really just another glorified form of works. And it's not bad, but it's just not rooted and grounded. And so then it gets shaken. And I think for me, you know, my, I, I was almost dying. You know the story. I was almost dying of a parasite from South America in 2020. And in 2021, um, I hear the Lord clearly January 1st, 2021, when I thought if I, if I die, I'm, this is awesome. I get to go be with Jesus and have a single, I didn't have anyone I was tethered to. So I was, I was leaving people who agreed, but I would be okay. And they would be okay. So I was actually wanting to die with a parasite because I wanted to be, I just was so lovesick for Jesus, not suicidal at all. Like if I lived, I lived, if I died, I died. But uh, then in January 1st, 2000, um, uh, 2001, I hear the Lord clearly. And it was disappointing because he said, I am calling you back to ministry. Welcome back to ministry. And I remember just going, really, you're going to save my life so I can do more work for you. And I thought, I thought if I, if you saved my life, that it would be for something that would be more, I don't know, transcendental, <laughs> like something that would be, you know, like I just go to the mountains with Jesus or so. I don't know. I just had this fantasy of what it, what my life on earth could be. And I was like, I was so disappointed that it was saying, welcome back into ministry because I still had my, my, my root system, my identity system was off. And right. he was, but I had just in how you yeah. defined what ministry is. Do you mean totally, or what I if he had said career, I would have been disappointed. Whatever it was, it just felt right. like I was. I'm, I'm saving your life so you can do a bunch of work for me. Right. And I was like, but this isn't who I met through this entire last two years of studying saints and mystics and people who've had genuine encounters with Jesus. You're not just like the first thing you said was welcome back to ministry, but you're almost doing it as a joke because you're pulling me out of a works mindset and you're pulling me out of a performance-based culture. You're pulling me out of this, but I even teach healthy identity and I'm not fully living it yet. You know, I remember just going, okay, something needs to change inside of me. And I just looked at it as like, this is the day the Lord's made. I'm going to walk with him today. Cause I, I, at that time I was still sick. I was still dying actively. I was on hospice. I was mm. that severe. So uh, and, uh, you know, I was like, this is the day the Lord's made and today. He's given me today. I'm still alive today. So I'm gonna do what he shows me today. And in, the, in those days I had two good energy hours a day of that, you know? So, so I just had these little assignments of loving people and helping people and connecting to people. And it was just really a beautiful expression of like, Oh, this feels so good. Cause I'm not just doing something for you. I'm not just giving prophecies or messages or teaching or whatever. I'm actually like, I feel like I'm like, you're my friend in the room and we're actually partners and we're doing some things together. And it felt so different. And so it really, it really brought the antidote to that spiritual midlife crisis that I was having at the time, being only, you know, however old I was then, I was still going through it. Yeah, like I, I 19 now, or something. <laughs> no, I was like, I was in my late 20s or early 30s. But I feel like the church at large is going through spiritual life 
crisis, midlife crisis, and whether it be the church leaders. I mean, if you look at the Barna's last statistics on leaders, 85% of pastors feel lonely and isolated. They don't have fulfilling relationships. They don't have close friends. They don't feel resourced. So if we're dealing with pastors and leaders in the body of Christ at large, that was an American study, but I would say it's at large. You have these statistics where there's an imbalance in the way we're pursuing ministry as the leaders of churches. Then you look into society and you see the same thing. And the gospel is so clear. Like Jesus came because he was showing us, I love you so much. I just wanted to spend all eternity with you. And I want Mm -hmm. you to know me. And I said earlier to your students on your, on our broadcast earlier that I love that scripture. I've been living out of it, which is when, you know, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased when the father speaks that at the baptism, if you really study that out, he's saying, this is the one I, I, in whom his nature, I find great pleasure. Mm -hmm. And I went from being the beloved son that the Lord was pleased with because of all the things I was doing for him. I was helping the poor and going to red light districts and helping to marginalize and fighting for causes in America that no one else was fighting for and going after Hollywood and doing all this stuff. And I went from being the beloved son that God finds pleasure in, in the sense of my works to he has pleasure in my nature and I get to do those things. I don't have to do them to earn pleasure or earn, you know, affection, even though I knew all that, but there's something in like knowing it here, and then going, wow, my whole system of how I'm living has been programmed wrong and I need to change. And I think that's a really scary conversation because you really do have to lay everything at the altar of surrender. Like some people have, I have a word from God that I'm supposed to be in this city at this time for this reason. Da, da, da. And when you come out of that place of love, it's never really about the assignment. The assignment's just the byproduct of love. So you, you can lay everything on and say, you know what, God? You can change anything. And I could even go through a hidden season, a quiet season, a season that I don't understand. And you're still worth it. And you're still worthy because I love and enjoy you. Yeah. Not because I enjoy the works or whatever. And I, I meet so many people who are like, God isn't meeting my needs. I'm in a wilderness. And I listen to their wilderness. I'm like, you're just not doing a lot. That doesn't mean you can't have a lot of God. You're just right. not getting the promised land fulfillment of the works that you think you're going to get. But the real promised land is walking with God. Yeah. And you could do that in quiet times. You could do that in times of inactivity where the greater things aren't happening. And so I, you know, in, in a lot of the coaching and stuff we do for corporate, you know, marketplace stuff now, which is a lot in entertainment stuff, which I do a lot. Mm. It's interesting because we go back to the foundation of why are you doing what you're doing? And they'll say all the reasons the prophetic journey is the why is because God told me to, and I got to do this and I'm the one and whatever. And then it's like, who are you doing this for? No, that's what do you huge. mean? Like, who's going to watch the movie that you're making right now? Like, have you ever thought about them? Have you ever fallen in love with them? Like Jesus did everything for the joy stuff before him, that they would right. be what him and the father desired and designed. Are you, have they, have you even considered the masses who are going to connect? Like the people who are listening to this podcast. You and I are doing this podcast because we want Jesus to be so inside of them, habitating inside of them that we're treasuring them while we're doing the podcast. We're not doing this for our own ego. We're not doing this because we just enjoy it. We're doing this because we love him and we love these people. And so it's a joy yeah. to do it. Yeah, but a lot absolutely. of people aren't approaching and, their and business. That, for that connection ministry. to come alive. Totally. And so I think that that's, that's one of the key foundational points is that the, the church is in a midlife crisis. It's a spiritual yeah. midlife crisis. And yeah. the antidote is, it's just an adjustment. It's like, why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing it for yeah. the who and the love? Or are you doing it for the sense of, um, I'm entitled to do this because the, the mandate and the assignment and the, you know, all the, the directives that I'm an apostle, I'm a businessman, I'm a whatever. Like, and mm-hmm. it's a really hard one. Once you get mature enough in the kingdom, you stop listening, you stop learning. So it's really hard once you get positioned enough, I should say not mature enough, positioned enough 
you learn far less. And I'll say one more thing is that they did a study mm -hmm. in one of the colleges about um, people who are experts. And it was in, in Stanford University, people who become experts. And the moment you get the label expert, you stop learning by 98%. Oh, wow. So then oh uh, another a church, speaker, but I have this all, all, all documented somewhere. I'm not sure where I have it, but I have on a That's teaching, so I did actually give all the, the list of who it is. But a uh, Christian college did a, um, uh, a study on Christian uh, pastors in all over America. And they took 2000 pastors and asked them questions. And basically the pastors all said that they were experts in their field. And they all felt like they were in the top five to 7% of pastors in their city, whether they pastor a 25 member church, a 3000 member church, and they felt like they were an expert in their field in the top of their field. And this is an American study. And so you have the average senior leader who feels like they have to be in a role of an expert and they have to have that. But then we found out what the role of an expert in America, what it means is that you stop learning. And so no one start. you don't hear pastors often saying what I'm learning is you hear them saying, I've learned this in the past and you're going to learn it too. And what happens in that conversation is that you cut off relationship, connection, responsibility to somebody else because you now are ahead of them or above them. And so it's created this hierarchy that's so intense in the mm -hmm. church world and in the expert worlds. And, and when, when, as in the kingdom of God, we're supposed to come like little children, like, I know less today than I knew when I first, when I was 16, 17, 18, when I was first running after God in a real passionate way. I thought I knew everything then. And I feel like I know so little now. I love what I know though, but I feel right. like so much. Like I look at the universe and go. Yeah, oh. Marvel. Like, we know nothing. <laughs> so I feel like when you, when you, like people will sometimes say, well, you're one of the leaders of the whole field of whatever. I'm like 0% true. Right. I just happen to have grown in a way that has given me an influence in, in a certain atmosphere. And I do have some some good learning and some good life experience that I won't discount. I'm not going to be falsely humble. But mm -hmm. in the context of where I want to grow, there's such a big gap that I'm like, don't put anything on yeah. me now because you're going to be disappointed with where I go because I'm going somewhere I don't even know the tra trajectory mm -hmm. of. And it yeah. may disappoint you because I'm still evolving. And yeah. I think that that's scary when pastors or leaders or people who are in positions, I'm using pastors and leaders as, as the example here, mm -hmm. when they always become something else. And I've been helping some leaders through their transition from full-time senior pastoring or from full-time itinerary ministry. And all of a sudden they're taking on another identity. Like one of the ministers I'm friends with is, is now going through professional trained music lessons to become a Broadway musical theater um, wow, actor. Fantastic. And he wanted to do it his whole life. And he's in his uh, late forties. And so we, I helped him make the transition with this church to where it wasn't like such a knee jerk, like you're, what are you doing? Like you've led us this way. Now you're leaving us, but where he can do both and. But yeah. in that context of that, people are disappointed and they feel like he's, some of the board members and leaders felt like he was taking a step backwards or being, or a vain step, like it's a vanity versus connection to God of who he was created to be. Mm. And that's the, that's one of the, the reasons why pastors and leaders get so isolated or people of influence or people who've grown to a place of a certain structure or stature get uh, isolated and become experts or stop learning because they are pigeonholed or typecast, as Hollywood says, into a role that gives them a, a level of s significance, fulfillment, finances, and then they can't grow past that because they'll disappoint that audience to become something else. And they're yeah. afraid of losing that, but they hate where they're at. Yeah. And so I think that yeah. God's saying, hey, I'm stepping into the season and I'm using COVID to deliver people from codependency that roles and identities. I'm using 
you know, uh, racial issues to stir up issues of anger and frustration with where things are at in society. I'm using things to cause a better scenario in politics where people had a codependency on false prophecy or prophecy that wasn't accurate. That's another way to say it. It's not false prophets, but prophecy that wasn't accurate. And people were like, this is the main person. Have you listened to their list? Everything they say is God. And then God's saying, I want you to listen to me for yourself instead of just read their email every day. And their email is good every day. But I, you're, you're now codependent with their email versus hearing me for yourself. And God's like mm. causing us to be so disappointed with so much of what's happening. And I, I look at it and go, that's creating a hunger that will yeah. either cause you to be satisfied in Jesus or will yeah. cause you to be dark, disappointed and disillusioned. And we have a choice to make in that, but it's the same thing as midlife crisis. It's like you either grow and become something or you shut down and you don't live life anymore. Right. And so I think we're at this like really unique place in history. It's like this mm-hmm. hundred year event just happened and God's saying, I want to bring a worldwide revival and I want it to look like a place of influence that's birthed out of sonship, not out of ser- servanthood. And I mm-hmm. want it to come uh, bring great satisfaction. And I want people's identity not, to not be in the performance of it because mm-hmm. they're going to be in one thing for three months that they thought they were going to be in for 30 years. And then I'm going to take them in a different direction that has nothing to do with it because I want to prove that I could use people who aren't qualified for positions to show my wisdom in areas where there's already experts and they don't deserve to be there. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a really unique scenario. So I just talked for a long yeah. time. Oh That's no, Sean, that was rich. I mean, literally, I just agree with everything you're saying. There's so many things that came to my mind when you were speaking. I mean, we could talk for <laughs> I three given days you time now. To talk, but I, I went on a <laughs> no. spiritual I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a couple of things, and then I want you to talk again because it's just so rich. I mean, I can, I remember obviously, you know, obviously we've known each other a long time. I remember you going on this journey, you know, and, and I remember watching the difference in you as you significantly shifted in the way you began to express prophetically. And I love what you one of one of the many things you just said. I love where you said, you know, you mentioned the scripture. It was for the joy that was set before mm-hmm. Jesus, that he endured the agony, you know, and how, his his life illustrates to us, doesn't it? He was motivated by love. He was compelled by love. He manifested love, you know. And so, and I remember watching the shift in you where the authentic relational connection, your the enjoyment of your relationship, like you were just describing, that is the core of who you are, that authentic heart-to-heart union that you have with Jesus began to be more visible in the way that you expressed the prophetic. And so when these extraordinary words of knowledge began to come out of you, you know, in that season, or that you're still moving like this, but where it was very high profile, you know, for a season and people were just staggered, you know, you would get the names of relatives who were all in, in heaven in detail and it was just beautiful. But what was imparting from you, Sean, wasn't just a word of knowledge, which in itself, that detail is just life-changing for the person hearing who's just lost their little boy or whatever the terrible circumstances that you know you, you spoke into were. But the substance of love, the, the, the substance of your relational connection with Jesus is what would be tangibly coming out of you. And so you could feel the supernatural presence of God moving into that situation through the word and through the love, you know, and I can remember watching that and thinking, this is, this is 
the simplicity and the profoundness of the true prophetic, where we truly are an expression of the heart of God out of, like you say, that that pursuit of relationship with him above all else, that enjoyment of him and the simplicity. And and I agree with you, the more you go on, I'm the same, the more I've gone on, the more childlike I become, the more I'm just in awe of the stars and realize I do not understand <laughs> God. I'm a crazy about him and I'm so grateful every moment for his presence and every encounter, but I do not understand him, you know, or his ways. But I, But yet in the profoundness of who he is as almighty God and creator, you know, we see him in this incredible universe that we live in and in the amazing you know who we are we're just amazing creations always beyond description yet we're able to commune with him every moment yet we're able to share his nature and his substance every moment in every walk of life and it's like you talk about you know and you mentor people in this it's for every expression it's for the marketplace it's that really he that's the that's the gospel right to walk yeah. in relationship with him and one thing and i'll finish with this and then i would love to ask you about mm-hmm. the current message you know that you're carrying and what you've put in with bob hassan into this incredibly important new book you know which is all an extension of this message but I had this extraordinary experience with Jesus. I was in a vision with him. And in the middle of all of the pandemic, he spoke really clearly to me. And he said, the future's bright, you know. And I'm like, what? And so, yeah. you know, the, we're hearing all sorts of drama and, you know, understandable, horrendous pressure and difficulty around the nations. But he said to me, the, the future's bright. And he yeah. said, because we co-create it together. And then he showed me us with an artist palette. And instead of blobs of paint on it, we we were um, expressing the nature of God, all the different virtues of the nature of God. And we began to create in these incredible expressions of creativity across the different expressions of life with his nature out of this, out of the union. And we, were, we began to realize that it's not encounters that enable union, but it's a union that enables encounters. It's That's union so that enables That's expression. So and it was just like uh, everything within me shifted and all the worry and concern about the future and all the narrative of the world and what other, you know, some people may worry about our future. And yes, there are challenges, but yeah. he's God. You know, and that's what he said to me. And so he said it a few times now. Remember, the future is bright because we co-create it together. Now you're learning how to do that. Now you're learning how to express me and live, so come good. back to the simplicity of relationship. So that, so sort of, yeah, I just wanted to share that because I knew you would love that, you know, and it's, I, and I, re- yeah, it's like- I really connect with everything you're saying. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, the, the core message of the book that you've just written, you know, it's going to set people free, isn't it? To be able to... Oh know how to relate so talk will you talk into it what is it about it was interesting when i wrote translating god i wanted to write this book i wanted to write you know a book for people who are going after careers and marketplace and influence and entertainment Um, but i wrote a book for the church really and it was a best-selling book people all over the church like a normal little prophetic book sells thirty thousand copies uh, as a bestseller in the prophetic genre because this is not that big of a genre but this went into mainstream christianity and sold hundreds of thousands of copies. It was crazy. And I was like, that's really interesting that this is the book that we felt to start with. But I really wanted to write a book for people who are influencers, who are business people, because I had a word and I've had it three or four waves of this. I would say four waves of this came to me, but the initial time was I hear God and he says, the next worldwide move where I come in my presence all over the world, like a Jesus people movement or other times that there's been a worldwide move, is going to be the greatest move. 
And it's going to be occupied by people in the marketplace and in careers and in places of influence that are like Daniel's, Joseph's, and Esther's, and they need to learn how to hear my voice. And so mm -hmm. I'm setting apart some of your time to help them. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And I had already met with a number of business leaders, but I was coming more in the role of like prophetic encourager, somebody who came in and prayed with them and helped them just to kind of hold their hands for a hard situation or something or do prayer. And uh, so I was like, that's really interesting. But I was doing business at the time. Like we had started our business about seven or eight years ago. And, um, and so I was like, man, you need to hear from God over, you know, cash flow issues over which lawyer to pick over like all, all these things. Like I was like, man, this is like, you need, you need God to synergize these relationships. And in walks Bob Hassan, who he is such a, you know, he uses the term covenant relationships, which just to, just to find in his mind, spiritual relationships that God brings that you want to really honor and treat like family. And so he has that with his lawyer, with his accountant, with his, you know, everybody in his life, they're real estate agents, everybody like they've poured into, they've loved, they've helped, they've been poured into by his jeweler, like everybody in his life. And he, you know, he's one of the top paint contractors in the, in the entire United States. He just finished painting the, the Super Bowl stadium or the, I'm sorry, the LA NFL headquarters and LAX. And like, so, I mean, he's one of the most prolific painters in his company for 45 years. And yet he's so humble. And so we start having these conversations. He actually came on a rescue mission because we were growing so fast, but we wanted to grow a different direction and have a business and have a ministry, you know, that work kind of next to each other, but also are separate. And he came in and just on a rescue mission to help us during a, a time of great growth that had a lot of challenges. And as we're having these talks, I'm like, Bob, you need to, everybody needs a Bob. We all need somebody like you. You hear from God so clearly. He's like, Sean, I don't hear from God very well. And I said, you hear from God really clearly. And I start to kind of give him language for how he's hearing from God. And he was giving me language for how I'm hearing from God in these business decisions and in these places. He goes, you have incredible instinct. You have incredible gut. This is how God speaks to you. And we start to go on a journey of realizing we want to empower the next generation of Christian entrepreneurs and business leaders, influencers, these kinds of people to know how to partner in their friendship with God in their business and not just have God as my CEO, which is a great book or God as my business partner, those kinds of things. But actually like I'm driven in my connection to God. I hear from God and I know how to listen to God in my business. And I'm doing this with him, not just for him. And I'm not just serving this big CEO in heaven, but I'm actually walking out a spiritual transformative purpose that's going to have consequences on my employees or on my employers or whatever else. And it's just been a glorious book because it's just, it's called Wired to Hear. And we're all wired to hear God. It's based on a lot of conversations we've had on Exploring the Marketplace, our podcast we do together on Fridays and the Charisma Podcast Network. And I think I think the book, I read it and it felt like otherworldly because it felt like someone else wrote it. And we wrote it. And I was like, I wish I had this book 10 years ago. I, I, I'm learning from this book myself, of course, because it's Bob too. I'm learning so much from it. It's Bob's wife, Lauren, read it. Uh, and several of our close friends read it. We're like, there's a revolution in this book because it really grounds you into who you are in God, but it really imparts the prophetic process for the marketplace at the same time. So I think it's going to be phenomenal. It's coming out yeah. uh, May May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. I have you Yoda mm -hmm. up there. It's coming out in Star Wars. Day. I, that wasn't my choice. I was the publisher. Uh, but we're, it's coming out May 4th. But we, we're just so excited about getting, getting this as kind of a movement. And we've been giving away scholarships to help people who are starting businesses, not a lot of money, like a thousand dollars, a lot to some, not a lot to others. Mm -hmm. And we're like, who's starting a business that you need God to partner with you. And you need to feel like other people are partnering to you. And we have like 800 people signed up in the last two weeks who need a scholarship with incredible businesses. Wow. And we've given three of them away. Mm -hmm. And that we realize that 800 people needs each other. 
And yeah. so we're going to start yeah. gathering the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands that need each other and still speak into their process with our lawyers and doctors and entrepreneurs and venture capitalists that are appearing on our podcasts and some of our, our live online events. And we're going after the marketplace. I mean, it's been a long time since somebody's created a global movement. I just talked to TBN and Matt Crouch about it. He was so excited. He's like, what are we going to do in the future? So we're making plans in the future to really speak in a broad level into the subject. But really that, that how do we hear from God that changes the world? And TV and themselves, I mean, Matt said, my parents heard from God to buy TV stations. We would have not been the number one ministry in the world for TV without my dad hearing from God. This has to be imparted. Full Gospel Businessmen's Association, uh, Deepak Shakura, heard from God to start that, which was a, kind of our legacy, our early, it was charismatic. It wasn't just a bunch of guys praying at a business meeting at a lunchtime. It was like, what is God telling you to do? And how do we access the resources of heaven and earth to do, to give Jesus what's his? And so that's what we're going after. It's just so cool. Mm, it's just fantastic. It's so inspirational. And I love the fact that as people buy this book, it's having your own personal coach, isn't it, really? It is. Alongside you to help yeah. you write, because you're doing the how-to, not just that you can, yeah. but actually, you know, come on in a very relevant way, in a very refreshing way, I think, as well. It's very it's very liberating. I think it's going to set people free to realize, that, like you've said in the book, you, you, you already do hear God. You just not tuned into the reality totally. that's what's going on oh, you'll have and all your excuses how... taken away if you're like my wife's oh. a prophetic wonder i don't hear from god very much you're gonna have all <laughs> that taken away and you're gonna go oh i do hear from god you do sure. yeah oh it's so good it's so good sean thank you i could talk to you for at least another three days oh my goodness <laughs> it's about another five shows of subjects here <laughs> oh but i'm so excited for all that's going on and you know i have a huge heart for the marketplace as well years and years of history with that and all the Wes is doing and it's just it's very exciting right now what the Lord is doing he's moving and transforming Absolutely. our own relationship hey with him and simplifying our walk with him and then producing enormous exponential fruit and you know something else I'm going to finish with this but something else that you said um uh, when we were having uh, our conversation earlier was about the Queen of Sheba you know and her response when she went to seek King Solomon and yeah. how it just overwhelmed her that, um, I mean, obviously I'm paraphrasing, but um, it overwhelmed her and she could see that God loved Solomon because of the lavish display of his affection and how she interpreted it. And I just think that's a real massively important word and perspective for the marketplace at this time. Yeah. You know, the Lord wants us to prosper. Um, not so that we can be super materialistic and have lots of bells and whistles and trinkets, but actually so that people can see the goodness of God. They can, Absolutely. they can see him. They have to see here. it. They have to see it in their sphere. Yes. And so God's yes. deploying people in their sphere. That queen was like, yeah. I want to be like this. Like God loves his people because he raised yeah. up Solomon. I'm not raised up by God. I want to be raised up by God. I mean, it was just yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Got saved. Yeah. Pardon? As if she worshiped God and got saved because of that moment. I know, I know. And how many more of those moments are in the future now, hey? Yeah. <laughs> oh, as the Lord raises up a prosperous expression of himself. Sean, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Otherwise, I'll keep talking and talking and talking. <laughs> but thank you, because I get thank so excited so talking with you and so inspired. But thank you. Yeah, it's been great to talk with you. And thank you all for giving us your precious time today. And we pray that you have the most amazing, mm -hmm. prosperous, inspired week of intimacy with Jesus and look forward to being with you again next week. 